So hopefully you should have the outline in front of you uh, this morning as you came in. Uh, I'm sure there are some copies still around if you haven't got one. Uh, the outline as we go through judges is always helpful to have that. And you can raise questions and uh, mark things that the Lord has spoken to you. That's why we have the outline to not only help you follow along, but follow along, but also to mark things, questions, things for you to pray through and think about that the Lord is speaking to you. So Judges, chapter 8, verse 1 to verse 21. Uh, two people I've met over the last three months, uh, um, had interesting conversation with them about different aspects of their lives. You don't know these people, they are not from this fellowship. But one of them is uh, Cindy. Uh, Cindy is from a Hindu background. Uh, when she became a Christian, Christian, her cousins stopped talking to her. And uh, she's now actually regarded as the black sheep of the family. Uh, she told me recently uh, in August that uh, it is particularly difficult to relate to her family members because when they gather for festivals, she doesn't want to take part in that. So they have, you know, all Hindu festivals. And uh, she, she feels, you know, very hard for her to, to stand for Christ in the midst of such opposition. And that's Cindy's story. Uh, she's facing opposition from her family in, uh, in a very difficult way. The other person I spoke to is John. Uh, John has a strong desire to serve God in his local church. In fact, the Lord has given him a gift to teach the Bible very clearly. Uh, and uh, I have sat under his ministry myself. But he recently told me that he was thinking of leaving the local church to go somewhere else. Uh, he feels he's not getting the support uh, that he desires in that church. And if there is a truth in that, I've, I've seen the opposition that he's facing in the local church as he seeks to serve God. Today we're talking about opposition. Uh, opposition to our walk with God comes in many forms. Uh, sometimes it's directly from people like Cindy's relatives who offer opposition to our walk with Christ. But sometimes opposition is very subtle. Uh, like from John's church, we wouldn't characterize that as opposition. But it is, as we'll see in a moment. So it comes in many forms, but it also comes from different sources. Sometimes opposition uh, to our lives comes from the people of God. Yeah? The devil uses believers to undermine other believers. Fact. And sometimes oppositions come from the world. Uh, the devil uses people in our families, in our workplaces and society to oppose our work for God and our life for God. Opposition is part of our life with God. If you are seeking to live a godly life, you will face opposition in the church here and in the world around us. I wonder, what opposition are you facing currently in your work with God? And how are you responding to it? Well, we are currently going through judges. As I said, we are studying the life of Gideon. And as you remember, God raised up Gideon uh, to save Israel from the Midianites. And last week we looked at Judges chapter 7. And we saw Gideon, you know, God raised up his 300 men. He whittles down this army that Gideon has of 32,000 to only 300. And we saw Gideon going to the fight. 
and defeat the Midianites in the Jezreel Valley. Weakness overcame strength because God empowered Gideon. But we also remember towards the end of that battle that the fight did not stop there. Uh, Some of the Midianites ran away. And we saw Gideon now beginning the phase of hunting them down. And as we come to chapter 8, that's where we are. Gideon is now chasing after those that ran away from the fight in the Jezreel Valley. Gideon is hunting them down. And we'll see something interesting as Gideon now hunts down this opposition that has gone away. is now facing new opposition as well on top of that opposition. And the new opposition is facing is not coming only from the Midianites. It's coming from God's people. Gideon is facing laws of opposition. So the question we are exploring this morning is simple. How should we respond to opposition in our lives? Well, let's see how this uh, Judges chapter 8, verse 1, 1 to 21 helps us answer that question. And today we only have two observations to make. Just two observations in your outline. The first observation I want to make from this passage is that all God's people face opposition from God's people. All God's people face opposition from God's people. We see here that Gideon is now chasing the Midianites who have escaped. In fact, two of them have already been killed um, by the tribe of Ephraim. And what has happened is that uh, the tribe of Ephraim has crossed the Jordan now to meet Gideon. And we saw that in the the ending verses of chapter 7, where they've brought these two kings they've killed, uh, their heads, Oreb and Zeb, to present to Gideon. But as they now approach Gideon across the Jordan, uh, Gideon senses something is not quite right. Yes, they've, they've won the victory, but they are not very happy, the Ephraimites, the tribe of Ephraim. Look at verse 1. Then the man of Ephraim said to him, that is Gideon, What is this that you have done to us? Not to call us when you went to fight against Midian. And they accused him fiercely. And the tribe of Ephraim is very angry with Gideon. It feels that Gideon has snapped them for calling them too late to take part in the fight. They're saying, look, we should have been there. We should have been there from the beginning. Why did you only call us when you couldn't finish the job perfectly? And they're not very, very happy about this. And the word there you notice is fiercely. Uh, did you notice that word in verse 1? They accused him fiercely. Uh, this is telling us that this is not a candid chat over coffee in Starbucks. That's not what's happening here. This is a tense standoff between two armed groups. The tribe of Ephraim is the most powerful tribe in Israel at this time. And they are there with their generals, and they are now up against Gideon. It's a, it's a festival. And they are not very happy. It's like one of those cowboy movies uh, when what someone says next would decide whether they live or die. And that's what Gideon is now facing. None of us want to be in Gideon's shoes right now. The behavior of Ephraim that this tribe is shameful. I think we do agree with that. Because instead of worrying about the two million things that have run away, they are concerned about their own ego. They are saying, why weren't we involved from the start? You know, their pride is good to them. 
and they're not interested even in continuing the search. They want this argument settled right now before they can be of further assistance. Friends, we should note in passing that many followers of Jesus are just like the tribe of Ephraim. When we're meeting with other people over coffee, what we spend time talking about, when we meet over coffee or tea, we are spending time talking about other people, slandering other believers in Christ. When we see a believer is offering themselves to serve, what do we often do? Instead of supporting those serving, often we only see what is wrong with the ministry they are doing. We won't get involved, but we have an opinion like Ephraim, and it must be heard at all costs. But the main point here is that Gideon is facing opposition from God's people. And it hurts when that happens. It's painful when God's people who should be on your side are opposing you. That hurts. It's like your brother you know, opposing you in your physical family. That hurts. Or your husband not being on the same page with you. That hurts. And in church we see that you are putting time to perhaps do some practical work in the church. You work in a belly in the morning, you've perhaps cleaned the baptistry, or you've done something, or you've cut the edges outside. And you've done the job, but it's not perfect. It's not. Things go wrong when you say, right? But instead of people in the church saying, thank you for doing that, and giving you additional encouragement, instead the first thing you hear is complaints. This hasn't gone well. That should have been done like that. That happens in churches. And I know many people have left churches because someone said something nasty to them. And if somebody says something nasty to them, when all they were trying to do was to serve God at that precise moment. And that hurts. It hurts when you're trying to serve God and people are opposing you in that sense. And the sad reality is that all God's people face opposition from God's people. We should not forget that because we measure a lot on opposition from outside. But the vast majority of believers you face in your life will be from other Christians who should be beating your drum or getting alongside you. But Gideon knows this and he does not let it get to him. Look at verse 2 to 3. He knows, but he's not, he's not allowing it to get to him. Look at verse 2 to 3. And he said to them, What have I done now? They're accusing him, and he says, what have I done now in comparison with you? It's not the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim. It's, it's like saying, it's not the smallest job of Ephraim. It's, it's not the smallest job of Ephraim better than the grape harvest of Ebiezer. It's not your smallest work greater than my greatest work, Gideon is saying. And he reminds them that God has given into your hands the princes of Midian, Oreb and Zeb. What have I been able to do in comparison with you? Then their anger against him subsided when he said it. And you know what? Gideon is right. Gideon didn't even fight. Remember, all he did was blow the trumpet and God did the work and he's full of humility. He recognized it is all grace. And therefore, he's not allowing this opposition to get to him. Gideon here is teaching us that when we meet opposition, we must focus on what God is doing not what people are saying. 
Keep going. Focus on what God is doing, not on what people are saying. Gideon is pressing forward. Now, a bit of an editorial note as we come to verse 4 and 5. Uh, what is about to happen here is a bit of a flashback. So the tribe of Ephraim have crossed and they're having a conversation with Gideon. But notice verse 4 starts by reminding us that Gideon crossed the Jordan. Of course, it's giving us a bit of a different timeline when he himself crossed for the first time. So these events are sort of happening in parallel. And what we're told here is that Gideon has crossed the Jordan. Look at verse 4 to 5. He's pressing on. And Gideon came to the Jordan and crossed over. He and the 300 men who were with him, exhausted, yet pursuing. So he said to the men of Sarkoth, Please give loaves of bread to the people who follow me, for they are exhausted, and they are pursuing after Ziba and Zalmunna, the kings of Midian. Uh, you know that feeling? <laughs> I know, I know, so actually I know this feeling. When you have traveled, you know, when I go to Zambia, we have to pass through Dubai, and the whole entire journey takes about 24 hours. And you know that feeling when you've done a trip like that, after you're going to Australia, you have to change at Singapore somewhere. When you've traveled for so long, you just want to get home, you're tired. You just want to get home, you want a nice warm bath, and just want some food and just be there, and rest and look towards what happens the next day. That's what's happened to Gideon. He just wants that. Uh, they have traveled for 40 miles in difficult terrain. They are worn out. And they are just believed to come across a town of God's people called Sarkoth. They want a warm bed and some food. But notice how the leaders of Sarkoth react to them in verse 6. They are not very helpful. They said, all the beds are full. Look at verse 6. The official of Sarkoth said... Are the hands of Ziba and Zalmunna already in your hand that we should give you bread? We should give bread to your army? This is poor hospitality. They are not willing to help. And Gideon, it's a bit like what happened to Mary and Joseph. They're just, they're closing shop. They're not willing to help. They're saying, look, what have you done? You have not done anything yet. Why should we help you just now? And Gideon is so disappointed. But he moves on. Look at verse 7 to 9. He doesn't get bogged down. Verse 7 tells us, So Gideon said, Well then, when the Lord has given Ziba and Zalmunna into my hand, I will flare your flesh with thorns of wilderness with bread. He says, I'm going to ken you very bad. And from there, they said, we're told, from there he went up to Penuel and spoke to them in the same way. And the men of Penuel answered him as the men of Sakota answered. And he said to the men of Penuel, when I come again in peace, I'll break down this tower. Succoth and Penuel do not want to support the work of God. Why? Because they only care about their stomachs. They're thinking to themselves, they look at these very tired soldiers. They're looking at them, these 301 soldiers, I guess, Gideon and 300. And they're saying, this is a poor investment. If we support Gideon and his men here when they look so weary and tired, these guys are headed for a defeat against Ziba and Zamuna. And if we help them, the Midianites, we know for sure they'll win, and if they come back for us, we are finished. So let us wait and see which way the wind is blowing before we get involved. That's what these two towns do. They are opposing God's work by refusing to offer help. And friends, many followers of Jesus are just like Sarkoth and Penuel. There are many of us who never want to support the work that is struggling. 
All of us only want to get involved in ministries that are successful. So you find, first of all, believers, when we decide to give money to some work, we only want to think about, is our work successful? Is it led by a very great pastor? Then we reach out of our pocket and give them the money. When we want to decide to join churches, often our judgment is around, is the work going places? And then we decide to get involved. I'm like that. I'm sure all of us are like that. Even in the life of the church, before we decide whether to turn up to coffee morning, what do we want to do? We want to make sure coffee morning is, is definitely going in the direction we want it before we turn If it's not, we won't bother. If we want to come to a prayer meeting, we want to make sure, is everybody going to be there at the prayer meeting? If they are, I'll turn up. Evening service is the same thing. If the whole church turned up to evening service, we would all turn up. We are all like that. We are not keen to support work that is struggling. And I know this from doing work in church planting. That is very hard in the early days because people tend to follow success and they are not willing to support work that's struggling. And this is Penwell. This is Sarkoth. But the main point I want to make here is that Gideon faces this opposition here from God's people. Again, don't forget, they are facing opposition from God's people. It's God's people here that are refusing to help him. And Gideon again feels naturally hurt by this lack of help. And I know many of you have been in churches and perhaps it has felt like that here sometime. Where you feel hurt by the fact that you haven't had help from other believers in this church. I've spoken to people who have said to me, look, you know, not in this church in particular, but elsewhere. They say, you know, everything was going well, and then I started struggling with the sin, and they put me under the bus. They stopped caring. They stopped offering support for that person to be discipled in their work. And that person no longer went to church. They just fell off. That's from outside. In here, on Friday, I was taking a call from a, from a believer in this church. They are, they are not here. They, they have attended our fellowship here. Why I have been here, okay? This is on my watch. They've attended fellowship here over the last few months, but they haven't been here for the last three months, by my estimation. And one reason this lady told me that she hasn't come and what has discouraged her is that she has felt abandoned. She told me this over the phone. She said, you know, when I was coming to church, there was a lot of interest because I was new, but after just struggling with a few things, there just no one bothered to call me up. On Friday, I'm making this point to say it's out there. I can make the mistake of not caring myself. You can make the mistake of not caring for other followers of Jesus. We are all sinners, saved only by grace. And I know as we sit here this morning, women will think that is opposition. But friends, when a believer is exhausted and yet pursuing God and we won't help them in their struggle, we are like Sakoth and Penuel. We are not supporting people who need to be supported in their struggles. And the sad truth is that some of us, sadly, quietly, 
are so disappointed with other believers' failure in the past that we just don't trust anyone anymore. We go to churches, we close our ranks up because we met such disappointment in the past. It's hard to open up like that. It's hard for that lady who came here to perhaps open up when she visits another church. Now, for those of you who are visiting, that doesn't sound like a very good advert for the church. I think the advert is that Jesus is what makes us his people. It's that we need the grace that we are preaching about. But the sad truth is that many of us have quietly surrendered to opposition unaware. If you face opposition in the life of the church, don't surrender to it. Be like Gideon. Gideon has not surrendered. He's going forward because he's trusting God. And we must do the same. Look at how Gideon's posture in verse 7. He keeps his focus on the big picture. What does he say in verse 7 to the town of Succoth? So Gideon said to them, Well then, when the Lord has given Ziba and Zalmunna into my hand, I'll flare your flesh with the thorns of the wilderness and with brass. He's saying victory is assured. I will overcome. And that is our second truth. Truth number one, all God's people face opposition from God's people. But here is a glorious truth. God enables us to overcome all opposition from inside and from outside. That's our second and final truth. Let's resume our journey with Gideon. Uh, Gideon has faced this opposition, but he's pressing forward. Look at verse 10. He's still chasing the Midianites. Now Ziba and Zalmunna were in Kako with their army. So on the other side of the river Jordan. And they had about 15,000 men. All who were left of all the army of the people of the east. For there had fallen 120,000 who drew the sword. So 120,000 have died. Some of them have died in the Jezreel Valley. Some of them have been killed by the Midianites when they were trying to to cut them off from crossing the River Jordan. And there are 15,000 people now left. But this is still a massive army. Because how many people has Gideon got? 300. But God is with Gideon. He needs another Jezreel moment, and he, the God gives him wisdom, and he finds a way to take the army by surprise. Look at verse 11 to verse 12. And Gideon went out by the way of the ten dweller, twin dwellers, east of Noba and Jogbeha, I think Brother David pronounced it like that, and attacked the army, for the army felt secure. And Ziba and Zawuna fled, and he pursued them, and captured the two kings of Midian. Ziba and Zamuna, and they threw all the army into panic. It's an amazing victory. God has given Gideon a stunning victory against all odds. I don't know the last time you achieved something against all odds. Perhaps you, some of you have climbed Mount Everest. I don't know what you've been doing. Or perhaps you had that difficult interview at work and you felt such stiff competition. And then God gave you that success. Or perhaps you are trained hard to run a marathon and you finally did it or to do a walk. Or perhaps it was even just being on a diet and getting it done. I should know because my weight goes up like that. But when you've sustained it, like that's what I mean, that. That is wonderful, isn't it? When we achieve something, we celebrate. It's a great achievement. 
against our lords. And so what do we expect? We expect Gideon to check in the hotel by the Mediterranean and put his feet up. But not Gideon. Gideon is not celebrating. He has God's work to do. He's not finished. And so he has something to do. Look at verse 13 to verse 15. He has some promises he has made that he wants to fulfill before he celebrates. Look at verse 13 to 15. Then Gideon, the son of Joash, returned from the battle by the ascent of Erez. And he kept, by the way, can I just say how wonderful the Bible is? It's steeped in geography, it's steeped in history. There are place names that you can verify. This is the living word of God. And, and we're given names here because these are historical names. These are geographical places that you can verify. So let me go, let me get distracted. Verse 14 says, And he captured a young man of Sakoth and questioned him. And he wrote down for him the officials and elders of Sakoth, 77 men. And he came to the men of Sakoth and said, Behold Ziba and Zalmunna, about whom you taunted me, saying, Are the hands of Ziba and Zalmunna already in your hand, that we should give bread to your men who are exhausted? Imagine being there with Gideon as he arrives in Sakoth and Penuel. They are not expecting to see him, and it turns out they must be in shock. Look at verse 16 to 17. And he took the elders of the city and he gave them a good caning. I had one of those caning, but this is worse. When I was growing up, my father would get a cane and he would just knock you out as a boy and he would cane you severely. They don't do that in this country, by the way. I'm not suggesting you continue to do that. But they, they, they still do it in Zambia. And they're good caning. But this is worse than the caning I received. Because notice, Gideon is flaying the flesh of his, beating them severely. Men of thorns of the wilderness and briars. And we're told with them, he taught the men of Sakoth a lesson. And verse 17, he moves on to Penuel. And he broke down, we're told, the tower of Penuel and killed the men of the city. He's done what he promised. The leaders of Sakoth and Penuel are punished. Why? Because for God's people to oppose God's people, they are then, in fact, committing treason. When we are opposing other believers, we are standing with Satan. We are standing with the world. And so they are given up here by the Lord as an example of those that oppose him. We should note carefully, therefore, that God does not spare anyone who opposes his work, including his people. Uh, yes, we are in his people in Jesus. But if we tolerate people who slander other believers, we tolerate people who are always quarreling, we risk serious discipline from God. If we are opposing followers of Jesus in their work by failing to offer spiritual help, practical help, then we are inviting the serious discipline of God. But the main point here is that God always enables his people who are doing his work to overcome all opposition including worldly opposition. And that's what Gideon does next. He has punished Penuel, now he remembers he's carrying some cargo with him. He remembers he's been carrying it all day and he needs to deal with it. Look at verse 18 to verse 19. Then he said to Ziba and Zalmunna, where, these are the Midianites, where are the men whom you killed at Tebel? They answered, as you are, so were they. Every one of them resembled the son of a king. And he said to them, They were my brothers. 
the sons of my mother. As the Lord lives, if you had saved my life, I would not kill you. What's happening here, by the way, seems that these two kings have murdered Gideon's own brothers in cold blood and they thought they'd get away with it. They didn't murder these brothers in time of war. They captured them and then killed them to send the message to Gideon. And God's vengeance is now returned on them. It is their turn. Look at verse 20 to 21. Uh, so he said to Jether, his firstborn, rise and kill them. There's not Gideon asking his firstborn because this is a family now matter as well. His honor has been dishonored as God's judge. He's been dishonored as a family man. So he asked his son as the way honor was restored in, that, those, in the, this culture to kill these men. And Gideon, Jether, of course, is afraid. He's a young boy. The young man did not draw his sword, we are told, for he was afraid because he was still a young man. Then Ziba and Zamuna said, Rise yourself and fall upon us. That, that, some commentators you know, think this is some proud thing they're doing there. There's some virtue in them. No! These are men that scorn God's servant Gideon. They're challenging him, for as a man is, so is his strength. They don't realize that the strength of the Lord is Gideon's strength. And Gideon rose and killed Ziba and Zamuna, and he took the crescent ornaments that were on the necks of their camel. We shall say more about those crescent ornaments this evening. The point here is that we've seen that these men who thought they would get away, they have not got away. Now, some of you may remember the story of Ralph Harris. 84 years old, about two years ago, uh, he was convicted in 2014, three years ago, for the abuse that he committed, spanning decades. You remember that story, Ralph Harris? Spanning decades. Ralph Harris thought he would get away with it. For his abuse. And I suspect the Midianites must have felt like Rolf Harris. As each year passed, as they planted God's people, they thought they would just get away with it. They felt more secure in their plunder, in their opposition against God's work. And sometimes, many people are like that. Constant opposition of God's work. But you see, God allowed such opposition only for a season to discipline Israel, to draw Israel, to raise Gideon, to serve Israel. And now judgment has come upon those who oppose God's people. You see, the Midianites, friends, stand for all who oppose the work of God in Jesus today. They represent all unbelievers, all backslidden believers, the devil and the sinful world system. Maybe you are facing opposition directly from Satan who is causing you to doubt God. You are currently facing strong temptation. Maybe you are facing opposition in your own home. Your relatives who are not followers of Jesus are struggling with your amazing super-duper love for the Lord that God is working in your heart. Maybe you are facing worldly opposition at university or, or the school you attend. When a topic comes up in the class, you, you want to say something for the Lord, but... You are scared because of the nature of our society. We've often talked about that when we share the gospel in the Broadway there. You see, it's hard to do that. I don't know what specific opposition you are facing currently from the world. Well, let this passage comfort you. Because this message is clear. God enables all his people to overcome not some opposition, all opposition. Just like Gideon has done here. 
And if you are a follower of Jesus this morning, you have every reason to be confident because you see, the opposition here that Gideon is an overcomes, Gideon is not pointing us to himself. He is pointing us to the Lord Jesus Christ himself and what he has accomplished for us. Gideon here is pointing us forward to the coming of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus. He comes as a man, as our Gideon, and he triumphs on the cross against all opposition for us. The good news of Jesus is that if you are trusting in him today, regardless of what opposition you are facing, in the church, outside, at home, wherever you are, Jesus is your Gideon. And he has already overcome on your behalf. Yes, sometimes we'll face setback and we'll suffer some setback in our walk with the Lord. We'll give in sometimes to opposition. Sometimes we'll lose heart. But if we're in Jesus, that does not change our position. Our position is stated clearly in Romans 8, verse 35 to verse 39. Those wonderful verses that every believer should know by heart. Romans 8, verse 35 to 39 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? That's a question. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, Paul says in verse 37. In all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And that means no matter what opposition, what situation you are facing, your future, the future of this church, your future is totally secure. It's like this. Our team in Jesus has already won the Premier League with 10 games left. That's, the, that's our position. So even if you lose one game left, it doesn't change the result. We're already champions in Christ. This is the certainty of our victory in Jesus. And so when you face opposition from whatever source, remember the words of the elder to John in Revelation. Do you remember those wonderful words? Revelation 5, verse 5. Let me read them for you. And one of the elders said to me, that is John, Weep no more. Behold the lion of Judah, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, our Gideon, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. The Apostle John in that great vision is weeping loudly because he has looked at the situation and sees only opposition and defeat. But one of the elders reminds him, you have Jesus. He is the people's champion. You have no reason to weep about anything if you have already wept for your sin and are trusting in Jesus. His message to John on that day is that weep no more. Weep no more about opposition in the church. Weep no more about opposition at home. Weep no more about opposition at work. Weep no more about opposition in the country. Jesus, our Gideon, has overcome. Instead of weeping, our attitude should be like Gideon and the 300. 
My favorite verse throughout all of Judges is in verse 4 here. And Gideon came to the Jordan in verse 4, we are told. Judges chapter 8, verse 4. And Gideon came to the Jordan and crossed over. He and the 300 men were with him. Exhausted yet pursuing. When he gets stuff, Gideon did not stop working for God. He kept going. And we must do the same. Exhausted, yes. Are we exhausted? Yes, we are. Yet we are pursuing. And we must keep doing the work of God because in Jesus, why? We have already overcome. We are already secure with eternal life. And soon we shall see the new heavens and the new earth. We shall enter the new heavens and the new earth where righteousness dwells. So keep going in face of opposition. Exhausted? Yes. Yes. But we're still pursuing for the work of God. Amen. Amen. Let's come to God in prayer.